Uh, we are in Exodus chapter uh, 4, and we're actually going to go Exodus 4, uh, the verse 27, all the way through the first part of chapter 6, because I think it forms um, a, a bridge between where we've been and where we will be. Next week, it's an exciting week because we start the plagues. And it's exciting because the plagues, not just that they're kind of interesting and we remember them from childhood, but they are, they are really... Um, God demonstrating his superiority over the gods of Egypt. Every single plague is directed at one of the gods of Egypt. And, and, um, and so you see God demonstrating his power and saying that there is no other God but me. When I say that I am Yahweh, I am, I am the only God, and all of these other gods are false. And they're... Um, Anyway, so that's, that's kind of a neat portion of Exodus as you go through that, of course, of course culminating in the Passover, which has so much significance. <clears throat> Where we've been is that we've been introduced to the situation in Egypt. We know that God is, um, is actively involved. And chapter 3, he calls Moses. Moses, of course, who has been in um, exile for 40 years. He calls Moses. We find out a lot about God. He is the covenant-keeping God. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's faithful to his promises. He is the God who hears the cries of his people and delivers them by coming down to them. He comes to Moses. He introduces himself to Moses as I am, which is the word Yahweh, or we would uh, that would be the way I would say it, the, the um, tetragrammaton, the, the four letters that stand for God. It's actually God's proper name, and in this, in our Bibles, it's written capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But that's actually God's proper name. And, and we talked about that, the implications of simply making that statement, I am. The eternal God, the infinite God, the God who has no limits on him, the God from whom all reality flows, the, the God who is self-existent. No other God can name himself I am. There's only one who can. All the others say I am Baal or I am this or I am whatever. I am the God of the mountains, but God is. And Moses, of course, begins backing away from the challenge, he says, what if they don't believe me? And then he pleads that he's not eloquent. And then he finally says, oh, Lord, send somebody else. And at that point, God gets angry, but he doesn't send someone else. He just sends a helper, Aaron. And then um, last week, we went through uh, really a difficult passage. Um, God um, assures Moses that the people who are seeking his life are dead. That's not the difficult passage. I think Moses is very concerned about going back to Egypt. He's afraid of what's going to happen. God assures him that it's safe to go back, so he takes his wife, and God tells him, you're going to go back. This is actually before. The people will believe you, but Pharaoh will harden, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. So we talked about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. That's a hard thing for us to hear, that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Because we say, why would he do that? But in reality, God claims this, that he's going to do that. 
We talked about it last week. He, Pharaoh has spent his entire life living a blasphemy. He is claiming every single day to be God. He has, he has taken what belongs to God and put it on himself. And God has every right to judge him for that. We don't really have a problem, at least I don't, of the story in the New Testament where Herod, the people say the voice of a God and not a man, and Herod doesn't stop him, and God strikes him with worms and he dies. We don't have a problem with that. But here God is gracious enough to allow Pharaoh to keep living, but he hardens his heart. And he hardens his heart for a purpose, so that God's power would be demonstrated. Because if, if Pharaoh was at all less stubborn, the war against the gods of Egypt would not take place. Look, any, any other leader, after you've lost the, your crops, right, the wheat and the barley and this and that, and everything's gone, would have finally said, okay, go. Pharaoh hardens his heart until he finally has to lose the firstborn before he's able to go, which is the last attack on the gods of Egypt. It's actually an attack on Pharaoh himself. And then we have the bizarre story of of Moses um, meeting God or God meeting Moses and trying to put him to death because his son is not circumcised. Probably Eliezer isn't circumcised. And as we said last week, Moses is a covenant breaker. The covenant requires that you circumcise your children. And for whatever reason, Eliezer wasn't circumcised. And because of that, God seeks him and seeks to kill him, uh, which is a bizarre idea because God doesn't have to seek you to kill you. He can just say, stop breathing. But, but Moses then, um, Zipporah, apparently Moses is incapable of doing it, circumcises uh, the, the, his son, and now Moses is free to go. God expects something out of his leaders that they are covenant-keeping that they are committed to him and that they don't have sin in their life like that. So now we get to verse 27, and this is going to be a pretty long read because I want to go all the way through chapter 6. Like I said, this is the interlude um, that sets us up for the plagues, which we'll deal with next week. Starting at verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. 
That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past, lest they go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks they may, that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. And the taskmaster and the foreman of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and gather your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foreman of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all the task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, and yet you say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, Pharaoh said, You are idle. You are idle. This is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. <clears throat> but the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out under, from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land, that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because, their spirit, because of their broken spirit and harsh, harsh slavery. And we'll stop there. Um, there's actually three things, I think, in this passage, and we'll have to move pretty quick through them. The first one is the proper response to God. And the second one is the improper response to God, which is Pharaoh's. And the third one is uh, uh, an overarching principle, 
of the way that God works, and it's not the way that we expect. Um, there is uh, something that happens in this passage that I think is instructive for us when it comes to our own lives, and that is what happens to the people when, when Moses is doing exactly what God uh, wants him to do. And we'll get to that. Let's, let's start um, at the beginning here. We see the proper response to God's working. Um, when Moses and Aaron went to the people, they did the signs. Verse 31, and all the people believed. And they, when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. The proper response to, to God and being presented with, with uh, who God is, is to believe and to worship. They bowed their heads and they worshiped. They believed in him and they worshiped him. Um, that they, they believed because he was there to deliver them. And they believed what Moses said because they saw the signs. Um, as people, we have so much more that we have seen, so many more signs and so much more in the way of deliverance than these people have that our response should be to believe and to worship. Uh, Christians are people who should be worshiping God for what, they've, what's, what has been done. Um, I still go back to Exodus 3 and that amazing passage, which I just think summarizes who we are as people. Um, verse 7, verse, chapter 3, verse 7. Because everything that's said here can be applied to us as believers, but, in, uh, but exponentially larger. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. God saw our affliction uh, uh, being under sin. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to that land, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That was what the Egyptians were believing and bowing their heads and worshiping. And what God has done for us is so much greater. If we find ourselves going through life without worshiping God, without crying out and ascribing to him worth and honor and glory for what he's done for us, then, then something is wrong. <laughs> we, we've missed the point. So that is the proper response to God beginning to work in his people. Now we get the wrong response, right? <laughs> Now we get to Pharaoh and the wrong response, starting in chapter 5, verse 1. But let me read this, and I want to read it different, because I think something happens, and that is that the name of God is Yahweh, which is I am, or I am that I am, and we translate it Lord. To us, again, we said this before, Lord is a title. And it means, it's a title which means somebody that you must obey, right? I mean, your Lord is somebody that you at least are supposed to obey. So let me read this again, because I think you miss something when you say it as Lord. It's almost like a non sequitur. Who, who, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Well, if he's the Lord, you should obey him. Let me read it putting Yahweh in. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says Yahweh, 
the God of Israel. Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Um, that is the unbeliever's response to Yahweh, is to ask those questions. Who is he, and who is he to tell me what to do, and I'm not going to obey him, right? By the way, we live in a culture where that's very prevalent. Watch the comedians, listen to people talk. Who is your God? Why should I listen to your God? Why should we put our faith in this book, which is so many years old? Why should we, why should we the Supreme Court argument, why should we hear what God has to say? Who is, who is God? that we should listen to him. And Pharaoh's response is the classic response of any unbeliever. Who is this God that we should listen to him? It kind of feels like um, when you read it that way, it almost, even though Yahweh means I am who I am and, and it means he's God, he's the one that commands it, it kind of also does give him an identity like a person, which when you read it, when you read Pharaoh's response that way, it makes it just sound like God's just another person, just another leader. Yeah, and of course God did even more than that by sending Jesus so that we actually have a God in human flesh that we can relate to and we can speak his name and we say Jesus is Lord, but Jesus is Yahweh as well. He's the same, same God. Um, the, by the way, in here, remember that, that to Pharaoh, Pharaoh is a God. Let's not forget that. I know I've mentioned it. Pharaoh is a god. He's not, he's not god in human form. He is god of Egypt. He was a combination of two of the gods. He is a god himself. And in that world, the gods, uh, if, if my army beats your army, then my god is bigger than your god. So Israel is enslaved to Egypt, so whose god is more powerful? The Egyptian God. Pharaoh's looking and saying, who is your God? You're, you're enslaved. You're coming here begging me to let you go? Well, if your God was big enough, he would, he would free you. So why should I listen to your puny little God? Well, Pharaoh's about to find out. <laughs> he's about to find out big time. And see, that's part of what God is doing is he's setting up the battle. But we don't understand that part of God's plan, right? We just see what's supposed to happen. And now for Moses, the nightmare scenario kicks in. Moses has already failed once at delivering the people. He was run out of, of Egypt by one man who got mad at him, right? One man who said, are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian? And Moses knew right then we got a problem and he takes off. 
He was rejected once before. I think that sting of rejection has been there ever since. And the other thing we know is that Moses, I think I know it, dislikes oppression. Oppression bothers him. We saw that in all three cases. He, he responds, he sees oppression, and he acts. And what's going to happen as a result of him obeying God? They get oppressed big time. And, and the, the situation, we all know it, make bricks without straw. By the way, they didn't make bricks without straw, right? They still had to get the, the straw. Kind of a weird thing for us, you'd make bricks with straw, what does that even do? The, the straw, we understand now, when you put it in the bricks, it, it released a chemical that a lot of times people thought it was the, the straw itself that was holding the bricks together. But it releases a chemical and makes it into more like a cement. As, the, as the, the, the straw breaks down, it infuses that brick with, with this chemical. If you make the brick without the chemical in there, without the, it's like taking, uh, taking mud and making bricks, what happens? Well, we all made mud pies, right? <laughs> and they, they don't last very long. So you're not gonna, it's not gonna be successful. You're gonna be loading those bricks. And, and apparently they had gigantic work, public works projects going on, and so, we all know what Pharaoh did. He said, you can't have any straw. And why does he do that? Basically, he does it to bully them into submission. Yeah, but he also, he's bullying them into submission, but he also, his reason is, if you're idle. And by the way, just so you know, um, there's a lot of writings from Egypt. Idleness was considered to be a great sin. Okay? Idleness in our family uh, is a great sin. <laughs> I don't like idleness, um, but it's not in our culture quite the same. But there, you are expected to be working. And it's, it's in a lot of different documents how important work was to the Egyptians. You were supposed to be working. Idleness was a bad thing. So Pharaoh says, well, you're idle. Okay, what's the cure for idleness? Every father here knows it, right? The kid's idle, what do you do? Make him work. Make them do some more work, and then they'll learn not to be idle. Go ahead, Rod. What's the, the issue with going out to sacrifice for three days? If, if Moses is being instructed to deliver the people, what, what's this three-day uh, sacrifice time, going out into the wilderness to sacrifice? What, what, I don't quite understand the, the purpose. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting thing. Huh? Anybody have an idea? Why, why three days to sacrifice, Adrian? Well, I think if you were to come out and said, well, I'm, we're just going to take our people and leave, that, that would never have flown. But this is just a way to, uh, to test Pharaoh. I mean, it's, I think it's a pretty minor issue, but uh, it's just a way to test Pharaoh and, and bring him to a level where he is forced to let him go. And even, I think even at the end, um, when he takes them, the, real, the question really is, well, did did Pharaoh let them go for three days, or did he let them go permanently? And uh, so I think that's, that's what I see. Go ahead, Matt. I got a, my theory, although I don't know if the Bible would really back it up, is if uh, Pharaoh had said yes to letting them go three days, it probably would have started a slow and relatively painless process of emancipating the Israelites from Egypt. But instead, he chose to harden his heart. And uh, I just kind of view it as God saying, okay, I gave you the chance to have this be done slow and easy, but since you, turn, since you decided to say no, I'm going to make this very quick and very painful for you. Yeah. I, I kind of like where Matt's going. We don't know what would have happened if Pharaoh would have said yes. 
right? Because I assume that God is, uh, is God is keeps His word. If Pharaoh would have said, "Okay, go," then they would have gone for three days and come back. And and who knows what the process would have been after that? The point is, is that what he's being asked for is relatively minor, and he's still saying no. And and all of these plagues take place on the basis of him not being willing to let the people leave their labors for three days. So they have darkness, they have the frogs, they have the the whole crops, everything being destroyed, all for him refusing to let them go for three days. And we see the incredible stubbornness in Pharaoh that he produces in himself and that God produces in him. Well, the, the pretense that Moses goes back there with is that he's going to deliver his people. And, and so what can, is confusing about that is, is he going to deliver his people for three days and then they're going to go back into slavery? Or is it the intent that he's taking them completely out of Egypt to deliver them? And then the three-day aspect then seems somewhat misleading if his true intent was to take them completely out of Egypt, yet he's saying, let me only go for three days. There's, there's a little bit of um, conflict in that. Yeah, but again, let, let's just play the scenario the other way. Pharaoh says, you know what, Moses, that's a great idea. Give the, ki- the, give the kids, give the, uh, give the, the, the slaves a three-day holiday. Um, I, I, my own thought is that they would have gone out and come back. Yeah. And then, then, now, now Pharaoh has started on a different path of at least some obedience to God. And who knows what would have happened at that point. But that's something we're not privileged to know. I don't think God would have said, okay, we lied to him. Let's go ahead and run now. I don't think that's how um, my understanding of God is that he doesn't lie to people. And so it, 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 was, a t- it was really a test of Pharaoh. Will you believe and will you be willing to do even this minor thing? And the answer is no, I'm not going to. Go ahead, Nathan, you had a comment. I was just reading here in Exodus 11, one it says, God is saying to Moses, when he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. So there, um, right before the final plague. So yeah. I think it almost says if God is working on Pharaoh and it's God who's getting those people to go. Pharaoh isn't listening to Moses, he's responding to what God is telling to him. Yeah. So that when it's time to go, and that's where he says, I'm, and it actually says it here in chapter 6, when you go, he will drive you out with a strong hand. Pharaoh will drive you out. So we're going from, you can make this choice, let's go from three days to, there will come a point where you're just saying, get out. And, and at that point, God has won the, won the battle. And that's, that's my interpretation of it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and he will know that the God of the Hebrews is stronger than him because he's lost the battle and he's lost his country almost at the same time. Now, just a couple other little things. The, the people, of course, um, we don't know how they got the straw, but they must work longer hours. Some ideas that it was the men who were doing the work and now the women are having to go out. Basically, everybody's being oppressed. Everybody's trying to find straw. And they're still not able to keep up. There's two levels of people here. There's the taskmasters and the foremen. The taskmasters are Egyptian, probably, and the foremen are Hebrews. Foremen are are Hebrew slaves, but they've been placed over other slaves. And everybody's in trouble here, right? (laughs) 
The, the people are being probably beaten. The foremen, because they're not getting their quota in, they're being beaten. And you gotta believe the taskmasters are worried too. Because I don't think this was a very kind society. <laughs> You've got taskmasters who are, in everybody's in trouble and everybody's groaning. And the foremen very logically go and say, you can't make us do this. It's not possible. It's an impossibility. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Okay. Of that. So that's kind of interesting. Um, anyways, the foremen go to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's response is, not my problem. You're the ones who are idle. Okay, now, what's Moses' response? Well, what's their response to Moses? What have you done to us? You have made us. Let God look on you, this is in verse 21, and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Okay, so here's the situation. And I think we face this as well. You're doing exactly what God wants you to do, right? Moses is following God's plan to the letter. And what is happening? The whole world is falling apart. The absolute worst thing that could happen to Moses is happening. Two worst things. The people are under more oppression than before. And if we understand Moses is being grieved by oppression, this has to hurt him to watch this happening. We don't know how long it went on. So Moses, who comes as the deliverer, is actually now, there's more oppression. And he's being rejected by the Hebrews, which was, I think, his fear. I think he was afraid of going back because he's already failed at this once. And Moses is looking and going, God, what in the world is going on? And Moses' response is, you've done evil to this people. And then I love this, why did you ever send me? We used to, when I was in high school, somebody made some comment once at a camp, things were going bad, and it's like, why did we even come? And then that went into our lexicon. And whenever something wasn't going right, we'd go, why did we even come? Here's Moses, why did you ever send me okay don't don't we expect the opposite don't you expect the opposite if you're doing what God says and you're obeying God shouldn't life be going really well right admit it that's what we think despite all the biblical con uh, uh, all the rest of the Bible that's what we think my my dad used to have a phrase and he said it joking, but I think there was just a little element of truth it ring with people. When something good happened, he would say, well, I must be living right. Well, I mean, that's the, that's the idea. If I'm living right, things are going well. And if I'm living not right, things are going badly. But we, here we have the exact opposite. I am doing exactly what you said. I came back, I did the signs, I knew Pharaoh wasn't going to believe me, but what I didn't know is that he was going to oppress the people. I knew he wasn't going to let them go. You told me that. So when bad things happen, we find ourselves crying out to God. Why me? Why is this happening to me? Well, 
we have the rest of the story. And that's why we went on into chapter six. God says, Moses, there's something bigger here you don't understand. I I need to defeat the gods of Egypt. I need to show Pharaoh who I am and show the rest of the world who I am. And we're going to go through a period of of oppression so that the deliverance is even more sweet. We're going to go through a period of oppression so that everybody understands that although Pharaoh can turn the screws down on his people, he cannot keep them from being delivered by my hand. And, And I am the God who will do these things. And he reiterates all of it. The people don't believe it at this point, but, but, um, but God is setting the stage for what comes next. So I, I think if we think about our own lives, we actually fall into that. But if you go through the rest of the Bible, I mean, who's the classic example of somebody who obeys God to the letter and things go really, really badly? Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't, oh, somebody else said something. There's other ones too. I mean, you have other prophets who do exactly what God says. Joseph, Isaiah, Jeremiah. uh... Keep going, Matt. Yeah. I mean, where does Jeremiah end up after obeying God? He's in the well, right? The miry pit without food and nobody's taking care of him. And, and, and poor Jeremiah, who's prophesied, don't go to Egypt, because if you go to Egypt, bad things will happen to you. They take him to Egypt. We can go through the whole Bible, but you culminate with Jesus, who obeys God perfectly, and yet from a human perspective, everything goes exactly the opposite way that it should. He's not lauded, he's put on a cross, and he's crucified, and yet we understand the end of the, end of the story. And then we are promised that all who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So don't expect that life goes perfect. You, you can be doing absolutely everything right. Now, you have the opposite. You have Jonah who <laughs> ran away from God and things didn't go the way he wanted either. So it's not as if, as if bad things are happening that that means you're doing the right thing. But, but it, it doesn't mean that by obeying God, your life is everything's going to fall into place. And we know that, but it's a great reminder from this passage. So how do we respond to God? We worship, regardless of the circumstances. The wrong way to respond to God is to say, I, I, I don't believe and I'm not going to worship you. And then as our life goes through, we have to be open to the idea that when things are going badly, it does not mean that God's abandoned us. It doesn't mean that we're not being obedient to him. It could be that we are perfectly in the center of God's will and he is sending this storm for a different purpose than we can understand. So, any other comments on that? It's interesting every person you named Jesus, Job, Joseph, Jeremiah, and Jonah all start with J. Uh, he said Isaiah. And Elijah and Elisha. <laughs> yeah. Elijah, Elijah was a, I, I think of Elijah as a pretty interesting example there in that he was living at a time where the king that he was supposed to be advising as prophet was instead his mortal enemy. Yeah. And uh, that relationship, as far as I could see, did not change throughout Ahab's life. Yeah. And he st- and Elijah still did the best that he could to be faithful to the Lord. Yeah.
it is questionable to Or sometimes we just automatically assume that, yeah, because something bad is happening, that we must have, that we must have sinned, that something must have happened that is making God mad at us. I was like, no, this is not the case with Moses at all. So it's a good, it's a good reminder. Yeah, he, he didn't understand that even the men leaving was part of God's plan and that the, the victory would have been greater because there were less men there. Yeah. Um, there is a little part that we don't have time for, and that was this, uh, and I know Adrian would have wanted to have gotten to this, that, and prior he did not, I, they did not know me by the name of the Lord, but they had heard that name before, so we may have to touch on that next week. And we have a genealogy, but we're going to get to our first plague in chapter 7, so um, that'll be good. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer.